The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Grab your coffee or your tea and sit back and relax while we talk about understanding and investigating military law cases. Military law, some of us have some experience with the U.S. court system, maybe a traffic ticket, a small claim suit, a family member possibly charged with a crime, or we just watch TV and we have a basic idea of the U.S. court system and what are the expectations of those rules. But what about the military? Are those policies and procedures the same and what determines a military jurisdiction? Does a person have the same rights in military courts, and how are those charges investigated? And particularly with the uh, Fort Hood, Texas shooting of um, who is ch- the man that's charged, an Army psychiatrist, Nadel Hassan, charged with 13 counts of premeditated murder and 32 counts of attempted premeditated murder uh, recently, last November. Um, many of these terms have been in the press lately, and in, our timing for this program is appropriate because some of these terms may be certainly not understood by me and maybe not others as well. So today's guests are former Navy JAG line officer and military law attorney Judith Litzenberger and private investigator George Michael Newman, both of whom have experience with cases in the military arena. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here today. Um, just as a note, I'm broadcasting this morning from Dallas, Texas, and uh, so we have people in Texas, California, and I believe Michael is today in British Columbia. So we are uh, really in different parts of the world here. Uh, San Diego Attorney Judith A. Litzenberger, she, is, she likes to be called Jude, first of all. Call her Jude. Uh, she retired from the Navy in 1995 after 21 years in the Navy where she rose to the through the enlisted ranks to officer and then to lieutenant commander. She served as senior member of the court's courts marshal and administrative boards and trained command personnel and JAG investigators. She began her legal career in the law firm of Bardsley and Carlos in San Diego, where she handled misdemeanors and felonies and civil claims, litigation, and military law cases. She served as two years as the chair of the San Diego County Bar Association Military Law Committee, She's on the board there of the Walton Family Services. She's a trainer for National Institute of Trial Advocacy courses. She serves on the San Diego Police Department Citizen Review Board. 
She's co-chaired the San Diego's Returning Veterans Legal Task Force for three years, and she serves as the Veteran Treatment Court Team Coordinator. She also has a BA in psychology and sociology, two masters, one in education, the other in psychology, and she attended the University of San Diego Law School. Welcome to the program, Jude. Thanks very much, Francie. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I enjoy having you here, and I'm sure you can uh, tell us a lot about things that uh, we're not familiar with. Or, um, so tell me first, what is a JAG line officer, and, ha- and what's required of that position? Well, there's, it's actually two separate positions. A line officer in the military, in particular in the Navy, is a commanding officer who has overall command and responsibility for the performance of the entire unit. In a military unit, a commanding officer wears two hats. One, they have the operational command and that they have to make sure that the planes fly and the ship gets to where it's supposed to be and that the people perform their mission. The secondary is that they have to maintain discipline in the unit. It's a little bit different than having a civilian boss in that this time your boss is also responsible for referring charges against you if you violate any rules and to also mete out um, effective discipline and punishment. Um, a JAG officer in the Navy is a, is a lawyer. Um, they're part of a, a separate corps um, who primarily their responsibility is to um, assist the commanding officer in either prosecuting a crime or defending a crime. Mm-hmm. And um, several times in military service, line officers, as they grow through the ranks, are assigned different legal responsibilities. Sometimes your legal officer for the command won't be a lawyer. It'll be a line officer. So in all of those positions, um, people in the military, as they grow up through the ranks and and learn to be a commanding officer, they'll be responsible at different stages in their careers for legal issues as well. And when you were in the Navy, uh, Jude, how did those responsibilities fall on you? Well, primarily I was very interested in um, legal fields. Even the times that I was an officer in charge, I had responsibility to mete out punishment, to discipline, and things like the commanding officers do. I also found that um, I, I was a legal officer at different times in my career and assisted the commanding officer in making decisions as to how to exactly handle different disciplinary infractions by the sailors that worked with us. And those different um, disciplinary areas might, um, what would be some restrictions or some discipline that you would give someone under your command? Well, in the military, you have a a number of decisions. A a crime in the military is very specialized. Some of the times it's the same crime as we have in, like, California law. If you, you know, shoot somebody, if you assault someone, if you injure someone in a a criminal way, then you'll be charged under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is the military penal code, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, as a commanding officer, you have to make a decision on if or not it's a minor crime and you can handle it through an administrative process like a non-judicial punishment where often called captain's mast in the Navy. It's often called what? Captain's mast. Okay. Uh, comes from the old sailing ships where they would all come together on the, on the main deck and uh, punishment would be imposed. Mm. Often in those days it would be lashings, and uh, we don't do that anymore, but... Sometimes it's extra duty, it's uh, taking away their pay, and those are all handled in an administrative way. Now, that's for minor crime. Um, Someone who commits a major crime in the Navy will be considered for court-martial. There's three different kinds of court-martial. 
There's a summary court-martial, which is a one officer, usually a line officer, will be the, the judge and jury in that. They call the accused in, they call in the witnesses, they make a determination of the findings of fact, and they can impose what would be in civilian life an infraction-type um, punishment. Mm-hmm. They generally can impose no more than 30 days in the brig. They can um, assign them, um, take away some pay, those sorts of things. They can give them extra duty. Uh, special court martials is the equivalent in civilian life of a misdemeanor case. Those, they can have up to a year in jail or in the brig. Um, they can also be reduced to a E1 when they're, uh, when they're impo- imposed a bad conduct discharge. Mm-hmm. That, those are punitive discharges. They're not appealable in, in the traditional sense. They get a, a legal review, but um, you cannot ever, like, get them expunged. They require a presidential pardon to have them wow. removed from your record. That's only for a misdemeanor in the military. Now, for a general court-martial, those would be the felony cases, in the, uh, equivalent to the felony cases in the, in the military. Those, you can get a dishonorable discharge, a bad conduct discharge. You can also be retained, um, even if you're found guilty, but it's up to the members to usually make that decision. Interesting. So, in a... In a full-blown court, courts martial, would that be something that there'd be a jury? Well, the, the juries in the military are considered, they're call, first called members, um, uh, court martial members, and they're usually made up of officers. Um, if you are enlisted, you can request enlisted members, and usually you'll have between six and nine members of the jury. The, unlike civilian life where you have to have a unanimous decision in military, it's only two-thirds that has to feel that you're guilty in order to convict. Um, and, and generally, um, you have one preemptory charge, one, one preemptory challenge. So the judges are generally pretty liberal on the, the cause charges. Only yeah. one? Yeah, only one. And, and in, a uh, say, a California state court... How many preemptives would you have normally on a felony? Well, you can usually have six. Um, if it's a death penalty, you can have more, and it just and you know there's requirements that you use them in some cases as well. So. Uh, but generally, uh, I, I haven't found that to be too much of a challenge in court martials because the judges, if they sense any bias in the members, they will generally uh, find a cause. Challenge. Interesting. And then the the jury does it have to come from the the particular navy base that's the person is located at? Yes. Most of the time they're located in the general area. Um, In San Diego, for instance, any member that's stationed anywhere in San Diego can be assigned to a court-martial panel. Um, Sometimes they uh, intentionally try to seek people who aren't at the same command uh, as the accused because they know people and they probably know the witnesses and they they automatically would get cause challenges. Mm Mm-hmm. Most officers in the military where you're in a location will be on a court-martial pool and we regularly would be assigned to court-martials in the area. And were you in a, ever in a situation where one of the people under your command um, had to be referred for a court-martial? I was, and I was actually um, threatened by a young man who just had a really bad day, and uh, my captain decided that she was going to court-martial him. And um, it wasn't my decision, um, but it was my decision to carry out. So, wow. 
she uh, prepared the, the legal issues, and I was called as a witness against him. And um, in fact, he was convicted and sent off to the brig for about a year. And what was the charge? He had threatened me. Oh, oh, that was the charge. It, oh, I was thinking he threatened you because it was referred. No, he was just having a very bad day. I gave him okay. an order. He failed to carry it out, and he, you know, conveyed a threat. It was witnessed and reported. Wow. Wow. Um, well, and, you know, that uh, I guess that would be concern, uh, considered in many courts a ther- terrorist threat or charge of the terrorist threat, perhaps, in these days. Well, and, and there's times in the military where there's crimes that are crimes in the military that wouldn't be crimes in civilian life. If I had been a civilian in that same situation and, and someone who worked for me had a bad day and they, you know, sort of blasted off with their mouth instead of their brain at times, and I've been in those situations as a civilian, I don't consider those kinds of things to be so severe as to warrant a year in jail. Uh, mm-hmm. In the military, they will, because it's considered a, an aff- offense against good order and discipline. Whenever so he actually got a go year off in on your brig, officers. Huh? That's that's serious to them. Wow. And so he got a year in the brig for that. Yes. yes. Is that is that what I understood you to say? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't mess around with the military. I think that's the <laughs> that's the key there. Um, and the cr- we're going to need in the military this. that you're going to experience are generally a lot less in. Um, severity than you will in the milita- than you will in civilian life, um, but they're dealt with rather severely. Possession of marijuana in the military is a, is punishable by a five year offense. Wow! And um, you know, so things that were minor crimes out out in town, if they're processed in the military, they often are are charged much more severely, and that's uh, okay. that can be a real serious upside. All right. Well, we need to take a break here, Jude. A military law attorney, Jude Litzenberger, is my guest today to discuss military law and many of the differences compared to state and federal court systems that many of us are familiar with. More in a couple moments. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Understanding and Investigating Military Law. We've been talking to Attorney Jude Litzenberger, who is giving us an overview of the nuts and bolts of military law. Jude, um, tell us a little bit about what an Article 32 and maybe what, it, what an Article 32 isn't. Absolutely. The, um, the commanding officer has to make a decision when he receives a report of a crime, he or she, and um, they make a decision based on what they know about the crime, and then they will also refer to an official investigative agency, usually an NCIS or a CID, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, um, Command Investigative Divisions um, in the Army. If, if there are local police reports, they'll gather those together, and the agency will do a minor investigation. Mm-hmm. They'll generally call the accused in and ask them to speak to them. Sometimes they give them... Article 31 warnings, which are the equivalent of Miranda, and often I find that they don't, and uh, that's, of course, challengeable in in court. Um, Okay. The commanding officer is going to get an investigation report back saying this person did something warranting you to prefer charges. The charges will be drawn up, and generally, um, if it's referred to a general court-martial, there'll be a probable cause, cause hearing called an Article 32 investigation. This is done by a neutral magistrate, often a line officer in some services. If it's a very serious case, then you almost always have a military judge as the investigative officer at that. Unlike a civilian prelim, um, which is only for probable cause, preliminary examination, then the investigation in an Article 32 can be used for discovery as well. Um, often, I've found in my experience, this is a really key player uh, the investigator is a real key player because defense can present uh, information to the investigating officer at Article 32 that can often 
caused the commanding officer to think again about making it a charge and a court-martial. And uh, Michael and I have worked on several investigations together where we've been very successful at the Article 32 because we got him on board early. And um, although if you do it before the charges are formal after the 32, usually the accused has to pay for the investigator rather than the government. But um, we can go out and find information based on what the accused tells us, um, and we can be prepared at that Article 32 to do some excellent cross-examination and even to present some defense evidence that will cause the investigative officer to really question if or not this should go forward. Well, I saw that uh, on the Hassan case out of Fort Hood, there's a Colonel James Pohl, P-O-H-L, who's a military judge that's acting as the investigative officer. That's, that's consistent with what you were just saying. Exactly. In, in a case that's significant, you're not going to have somebody that's a non-military judge doing that doing that investigation. But he'll be independent from the military judge that will be officially assigned at the trial later on if that comes out. And when you say independent, what does that mean? That means that they have no connection to the command, that um, their job is basically to weigh the evidence. They look at the charges and the elements of those charges that the prosecutor has to prove. Prosecutors in the military are called trial counsel. Trial counsel will present even the slightest amount of evidence on each element, and that's why you're getting a lot of witnesses called, because, you know, obviously if you're trying to prove premeditation, you have to... You know, he looked me in the eye, he pulled his gun out, he tracked me as I moved. Those kinds of things show mm-hmm. premeditation rather than an accidental discharge of a weapon. Although 32 times is a pretty significant, um, you know, in itself. Um, of course, of course. And and in this, so the investigating officer would still be at the same base, though? Yes, and usually it's the same locus as where the court-martial will be held. Um, sometimes they do Article 32s in different places, depending on where the witnesses are. Um, but generally, they're going to be in the same location as where the trial will be held. Okay. All right. And then, then you said that the uh, accused has to get their own investigator, and that opposed to because military people don't make a lot of money. Yeah. So I would think they would qualify for some kind of a court-appointed investigator in a private case or in a in a state or federal case? Why wouldn't they qualify for that in a military case? Well, let me explain how you get an expert in the military cases. There's two stages in a court-martial. The preferral of charges is what the commanding officer does after they get the CID or an NCIS investigation, and they go, hey, this looks like it might be a crime. Let me write this up. They prefer the charges, and they send it to a formal investigative officer in Article 32. At that stage... There's not a trial yet because the charges have not been referred for court-martial. Okay. It's only preferral. So if I wanted an investigator to be paid for by the government, my job is, as the attorney is to write up why I need it, and I have to explain that all military attorneys, the JAG attorneys especially, are required to do their own investigations. They're expected to do their own investigation. They have to show why they cannot do this, this much investigation in their motion in order to get a judge to agree, agree with them and to fund it. So, but, I, and, but before the referral, I go only to the convening authority, who's the commanding officer, and I say, commanding officer, I feel like I need an investigator. Here's why. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's the person I'm proposing to hire, and here's the cost sheet. 
almost inevitably the commanding officer will deny that. They're not necessarily required to deny it, but they don't feel that they need it to to do it right then because it really helps the defense. Um, mm-hmm. Because you can get this investigation and you can knock it down at the 32. Now, when I was a commanding officer, honestly, I never had anybody ask for one. I felt really? that the JAGs did their own investigations, and um, I, it's an unusual request. I've found that as a civilian attorney in these, I ask for them anyway. Um, because it does kind of show that, that there's a bias already in place if they're not even willing to help me out with the investigation. Sometimes that matters later on, sometimes it doesn't. And but is that decision not to fund an investigator appealable in any way? No, that's not no. appealable except for when you go final on appeal, if the judge turns down your investigator after the charges are referred, you make yes. that motion again to the to the judge. And one of the elements I have to show is that the commanding officer turned me down. And the prosecutor then has to say that he doesn't believe that an investigator is necessary. And the second thing they can do is they can say, well, we agree that you need an investigator because you've met that burden, but here, have one of our CID investigators who uh-huh. will work for you, and they'll do what you want. And then you have to fight the fight of why the CID investigator isn't sufficient. Um, in some cases, they are, and in some cases, they're woefully inadequate. Um, you know, Michael has an extensive amount of database and experience that no CID investigation investigator would have. Mm-hmm. And so I have to make specifically why he is better equipped than that CID officer, government um, person to do that. So, and, even, and even if it was CID, would attorney-client privilege attach? Yes, and they're confidential. Yes. They're part of the defense team. But I find that sometimes they come with a bias, and um, sometimes they're a little bit, I'll say, less um, less apt to be aggressive in their investigations with people. And I think if I can jump in for a moment and then let Jude get back on this track, one of the interesting factors or mindsets, as it were, because the military, of course, has hundreds of years of history and their way of doing things, and they're largely hermetic, uh, within their scheme is the mindset that the prosecutor will do the defense's work for them, which is kind of oxymoron for those of us who work in the civilian realm. Mm -hmm. But in all likelihood, the prosecutor will perceive that he or she is the one who will interview your witnesses, call your witnesses, etc. And it's something that uh, defense counsel, in the vein that we're discussing now, has to affirmatively uh, segregate, as it were, and delineate so that as this request for an investigator goes through the system uh, or up the chain, as it were, then um, the, the the basis for needing a your, your own investigator to pursue your own issues is clearly delineated and is, let's say, um, supportable. Okay. Exactly. Well, Uh, Michael, let me just introduce you and let our listeners know who you are as well. Um, George Michael Newman is a licensed private investigator with 30-plus years' experience. He's a combat-decorated veteran. He owns Tactical Investigation Services in San Diego, California. He's a board-certified criminal investigator, qualified expert in investigative protocols. He's been appointed to defend U.S. military personnel in courts, marshals, and other types of venues. 
He's a certified NRA-approved firearms instructor. He's provided protection services for government dignitaries and others and, and actually has coordinated details with the U.S. Secret Service, the FBI, and the U.S. State Department. He's an active member of a number of professional California national and international associations, and he's routinely published in periodicals and been featured on KPBS's Murder, Rape, and DNA, 48 Hours, and he's been profiled in the San Diego Magazine, the Naval Dispatch, and PI Magazine, Private Investigators uh, Trade Magazine. So, um, Michael, tell us a little bit about investigating a military case. I'm sure it's much different than... Uh, what people are, know about investigating in uh, a state court or even a federal court? Well, one of my mantras is it's all the same, only different. Okay. And um, <laughs> that distinctly applies when dealing with military circumstances because it is the same as an investigator and that is, in essence, leave no stone unturned, throw the widest net possible, and then begin to draw it in and segregate the facts that you need from irrelevant uh, information or data. However, again, within the construct of the military, one of the first things, and Jude is quite good at this, that is necessary is what I was alluding to a moment ago, and that is the prosecutor in the military cases generally think that they are going to work their cases and they are also going to work your cases, and defense counsel is simply uh, a part of their camp. And very often one has to um, appropriately address those issues and then segregate or separate your own efforts from those of the prosecutor. And sometimes that takes some political acumen. And this, of course, is where having an attorney who is experienced in military law is of great benefit to the person who is caught up in the military charges. Sure. Let me clarify just a bit of what he's talking about. Okay. In the military, unlike civilian life, um, the, the defense counsel has no subpoena authority. You can't subpoena a witness. You can't subpoena documents. Everything that you want, you ask the prosecutor to go get for you. Okay. Uh, and you also have to explain exactly what you're looking for, so no no, maybe I'm looking for a box of documents that happen to be in this place at this time because if you can't delineate it, they'll just go say, hey, didn't find it, sorry, not there. And your case sinks on that. Um, Hold that thought. Would you, Jude, because we need to take, this time has passed very quickly. We need to take another quick break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org. 
or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Military law, Jude Litzenberger and... Investigator, private investigator, George Michael Newman, are educating us in the differences and the procedures of military law. Uh, go ahead, Jude. I had to interrupt you when we took the break. Go ahead with what you were saying. Well, let me explain that. The, the design of military courts is to find the truth. And often, um, you know, in the early days of the military, there weren't lawyers involved. They were line officers generally doing the job of what we now call trial counsel and defense counsel. And in those days, you would go out and you would talk to people and you'd get information and you'd bring that into court. And it was designed so that um, the prosecutor basically did most of the work. And so defense never had subpoena power and still don't. Mm -hmm. Um, If I want a witness, I tell the prosecutor what witness I want, why I want that witness. And they can always argue back, they don't need it, this person is cumulative, this person, you know, isn't valid, you know, for some reason, and the judge makes a decision on if or not I get the witness, but the prosecutor still has to go subpoena the witness. And can um, you give, do you have an example of when that has been denied? Yes, it's often been denied in, in the area of experts. I had a case where 
I had a young man who was um, very seriously um, Im- impacted by post-traumatic stress disorder. He was in a psych hospital for several months. He was on heavy medication, and I needed an expert in combat stress. Mm-hmm. Um, the experts that were offered to me by the government all were psychologists, but none of them had really worked with combat um, vets. They had worked with uh, sexual assault victims who had different kinds of post-traumatic stress. And um, I fought to get the particular expert that I needed um, because that was the relevant field, and uh, the government opposed it. One of their arguments was, uh, Ms. Litzenberger has a master's in psychology. She doesn't need an expert. (laughs) Frankly, the judge was quite humored and said, well, who would be the witness then? (laughs) So, you know, and sometimes you're dealing with very young attorneys that are prosecutors and also that are assigned in the JAG Corps. So they're not, you know, they don't think things through all the way. But, you know, I've also seen them very hardworking. And, um, you know, they're uh, they're more apt to... uh, to do a job if they have a lead counsel that's that's been there before and kind of done that, and that's why I usually keep a JAG attorney on board when I am the lead counsel in a case. But, mm-hmm. um, but there are some nuances that uh, if you don't think far enough ahead, you will find yourself behind the power curve at the Article 32, and that's where you know I can look at, at a case and say, these are the witnesses I'm going to need. I will always ask the convening authority for the experts or the you know the people who can can um, you know look at the gun and tell me if or not it it works fine. Um, the government, the usually the commanding officer knows that I'm going to need that expert eventually, but they're not going to give it to me any earlier than they have to. And that's right. when it goes to the judge, and the judge says, "Yes, you're going to need an expert." But do we have a government expert? And the government always says, "Yes, here, take this one. This this person will do." And often you're dealing with somebody who's just trying to, you know. Crash your case sometimes. It sounds like, besides being in a military environment, um, there's not a very good chance of having a real fair defense for your client. You have to really work at it, and I think um, most defense counsel try very hard. But the, the, I think the way it's set, the system is set up, it's sometimes stacked against the accused. Yes. And and then Michael, how um, when you go about investigating a military case, tell us a little bit about that. Well, and I think June or Jude rather just left me a perfect segue because part of the um, part of the benefit of the investigator is to assist the attorney in developing a factual basis for those items that uh, she or he will need further down the road. Uh, it's actually very akin to a civilian investigation once it gets to the investigator and once we get out of this morass that Judah's explaining, and that is, again, it's all the same, only different. We're out there looking for witnesses. We're out there interviewing witnesses. We're attempting to arrange relationship with witnesses so that they will uh, not only be forthcoming but will come forward at the appropriate time. And very much like other investigations uh, and something that we have found in several of the cases we have worked is discovering the fact that this military charge had been investigated by civilian authorities who decided that there was no basis for the charge and they had dropped it. Mm -hmm. And obviously when we find that or information akin to that and are able to bring it into the military system, it has an impact on the severity of the charges within the military scope and where it will go from there 
within the military judicial system and so on. And would you get that information through discovery, or is is this something you have to seek out yourself from talking to the client? It's a little bit of both. There is material provided in discovery, uh, within discovery from within the military, but obviously whether it's military or civilian investigation, it's, it's as common as not to discover information outside of the, um, the chain, so to speak, that is extremely relevant to the proceedings. And that, of course, involves the attorney and investigator working together, figuring out what might be there and then going out and digging it out. And for our listeners, discovery would mean the information that you get from the prosecutor, um, all the documents, et cetera, that you would get from the prosecutor to work on the case. Yes, and and typical to the word discovery as we use it, that's supposed to be all evidence that implies both guilt and innocence on the part of the, uh, the accused. And... Very often, their focus, as it is in the civilian arena, is more on the prosecution or the guilt than on the innocence. Mm-hmm. So again, attorney and investigator work together to discern tendrils, if you will, of potential exculpatory evidence, and then we begin to pursue those very much like we do in the, in the civilian courts. So you mentioned when we were on the break, you mentioned bifurcated proceedings. So is, is this the kind of thing you're talking about, or is it, is it different? Well, in, you, every, you, in every court martial, there's I'm sorry, Michael. In every oh, court martial, the, there's two phases. One is the guilt phase, and the second will be what's called the A and M aggravation and mitigation phase if they're found guilty. Um, much like the civilian death penalty trials, uh, at least the ones I'm familiar with in California, they're always separated into phases. The difference is that in a, in a death penalty charge in civilian life, you have several days between one phase and the next. In the average court-martial, it's as soon as the panel comes back with a guilty verdict, you begin your sentencing phase. And um, that you have a few minutes to get ready for that. So really? It's quite a shift. And then military courts can go on forever. I've finished court-martial once at 1.30 in the morning. Um, it's up to the members. If or not they want to continue immediately or take a break and go sleep and come back in the morning, this panel, particularly, we finished about 10.30 at night. They decided to go on. So, Wow. Yeah. And you can do them seven days a week, um, you know, at all hours of the day. And, uh, you know, that can mess with your schedule somewhat. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot to, to do military courts. But they, they believe in expeditious punishment. So, It sounds like it. Um, another, another reality for the investigator, obviously we have various branches of the service. My service was in the Army. We have the Marines, the Navy, uh, Air Force, Coast Guard, etc. And it, it really behooves the investigator to, uh, if he or she is not familiar with that particular or with the vernacular used within that environment, to attempt to, um, to become somewhat familiar with it because there are phrases, there's terminology, and there are mindsets. Um, remember that when we've all heard about boot camp and we've seen these marine drill sergeants screaming in recruits' ears, et cetera, and that's all meant to uh, afford a person the ability to act without having to think too much about their actions. And that can serve the investigator if he or she understands how that groove is cut 
it can also work against you if you don't understand it because you, in many cases, want to extract the individual from that kind of a mindset or that kind of a groove and allow them to express to you what they witnessed from a more neutral uh, posture or mindset. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean uh, we don't want them to regurgitate the military dictum, but we want them to act as a human being and discuss with us their observation or what right. they heard, etc. Right, because often your witnesses are other military personnel. Exactly. Yeah. I see, yes, I can see that. Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's very obvious that uh, not just anybody could do the investigation and certainly not just anybody could be the defense attorney. Uh, it's very, very specialized. It's an area there's not a lot of lawyers jumping into either. So that's sad because it's a, it's a real uh, important area. I mean, I, I serve in the military. One of the reasons why I do military cases because I would see sailors go out in town and get a lawyer and pay the money and and they stood next to them while they pled guilty. And, um, you know, that uh, that's not being a lawyer in my book. I think you really do need to work hard for your client. Um, often it means sitting the client down and telling them the truth about their chances, too. Sure. Um, you can't just give them happiness and joy if, if that's not going to happen. And you can save them a lot of pain by, you know, offering a plea bargain to the prosecutor that, um, you know, can restrict the amount of... Uh, of effort to, that of, uh, of punishment. Um, even if you have a plea bargain in a military case, you're still going to have that second phase of sentencing. And one of the key differences in military versus civilian life is that at that sentencing, if somebody's pleading guilty, they must answer the judge's providency questions. And that means that the judge is going to totally ask 90 questions sometimes on how you wow. did it, when you did it, and it's all on record. So later on, somebody saying, no, I really didn't do it. Somebody made me say this. It's not going to be possible. It's going to be on the record. All right. That's the voice of Jude Letzenberger. Stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Vasily is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Such a fascinating topic of military law and how you investigate military law and what are the ins and outs. Uh, Jude, I interrupted you when we went on break and we don't have much time left, but I know you wanted to talk about uh, the young men and women that are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan today. Exactly, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm, I'm serving with the uh, San Diego's Veterans Treatment Court. There's one of about 44 courts in the nation that are in civilian state court um, who... Um, have recognized that some of the offenses committed and that bring people into the criminal justice system are due to psychological war wounds, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma often, uh, mm-hmm. other psychological things that are that are uh, resulting from their experience in combat. And um, there's been special laws in California and other states that allow for treatment in lieu of incarceration for these veterans and um, the military system does not have this yet at all. There's an court-martial that allows this. Um, there's, you can always bring a lack of mental responsibility defense, um, although I'm often counseled by the JAG officers that Marines really don't believe in psychology, so don't try this. It won't work. <laughs> I see. Don't try to help them. <laughs> well, I think it's a matter of understanding this in terms of the Marine Corps' mission. Their mission is to continue to go back to war, and um, that you know a psychological problem that interferes with that is an is an impact, and uh, they want to basically rid themselves of these kinds of burdens um, mm-hmm. because they honestly believe that if people get these war wounds, that they'll be dealt with through the VA, which they will. The VA is an excellent program, um, but they don't need them to deal with them in combat because they've got more on their plate than they can handle, and so you have to understand that term. In, I mean, you know, that mentality in terms of the Marine Corps mission. 
But um, what I'm hoping is that the military courts will eventually start recognizing that these are issues that bring people into the military justice system just as they do in the criminal justice system in the state courts, and that they'll start addressing it in a more humane way with treatment in lieu of incarceration. Um, I have several clients that, uh, that spent many, many months in, in brigs and prisons, military prisons, and the post-traumatic stress disorder particularly is, is severely worsened by those kinds of incarceration experiences to where it does interfere with your ability to uh, have your client assist you. Um, and, you know, my experience is that after Vietnam they had, well, I think research shows 34% of the Vietnam vets got misdemeanor crimes, got convicted of misdemeanor crimes. 11% got convicted of felonies. And some of those crimes that were misdemeanors back then or even not offenses um, are now major offenses. For instance, after Vietnam, domestic violence was rarely a crime. Um, DUI was a traffic offense. Uh, weapons charges, hey, he's in the military, okay, keep your gun on base, son. Those were the kinds of ways that, cr that uh, our law enforcement dealt with these crimes back then. Now they're very, very serious felonies. So I can expect that unless we address this as a nation, both in the courts, in, in military courts, and in civilian courts, um, that this will tend to, uh, to create even a worse effect with our prisons and, uh, and our vets coming back will never get the help that they need. So I'm, I'm advocating for laws that offer incentives for them to get uh, treatment. So. And is there a resource that you can, uh, available to them that you can refer to? There's all sorts of resources online. Um, if you uh, want to uh, Google Veterans Treatment Courts, you'll find a number of them. Okay. Uh, and then uh, it's a really an awesome uh, program that's, that's started up by several brave legislators, so uh, including those in California. Is there something that uh, we could post uh, with your bio on the, on the PIs Declassified website that would be a resource for people? Sure. I can give you some things. Okay. That would be great. And Michael, you had personal experience in Vietnam. I know this is near and dear to your heart. What would you like to offer? Well, I think it makes its own statement when one considers the percentage of homeless and the percentage of incarcerated, um, what, what percentages of those are veterans, and in particular combat veterans. And... This then begs the reality that Jude and cohorts of hers are attempting to create wherein there is a special set of circumstances with which to deal with what are otherwise prohibitive acts when they're committed by those who have been through the traumas of combat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think I'm going to laud my friend here. Jude Litzenberger is an incredible advocate. She is extremely uh, wise and educated within the, con uh, the constructs of military law. And I would urge anyone who at any time is in need of insight to contact Jude or someone of her ilk, because as I mentioned a moment ago, it's all the same, only different, and it's very, very different in many instances, and in many cases, a perpetrator within the military construct is himself or herself a victim as well, 
and that does not ex- that's that's not an excuse, but it may well be a reason to apply a different level of understanding to some of the actions of these individuals. Well, and I would say that Jude is probably also very wise in having you, Michael, as her, as an investigator on these very serious cases that are very uh, that also are very difficult to travel and maneuver through as you are preparing for trial. And if and if our listeners have gotten nothing more out of this program than if you know somebody that is being charged with a serious crime in the military, be sure they have a good. Um, qualified, experienced in military law attorney representing them, and a very good investigator. Right, and I would pick the investigator over the military attorney. <laughs> okay. Because an investigator can help a JAG officer um, really understand the, the case. And if you have limited funds, go with the investigator. It'll, it'll pay in the long run. All right. Well, thank you, Michael and Jude, for joining the program today. If you'd like to know more about either Jude or Michael, log in to PICclassified.com and the details of how to contact either right below each of their bios and I will be putting some resources for uh, vets coming back from uh, the Middle East for resources. If you, might ha- if you have a topic that might be interesting uh, to our listeners, please send a note to me at Francie at PICclassified.com. Next week, we'll be talking about the death penalty with former Alameda County, California District Attorney Daryl Stallworth when we declassify more real stories from real investigators every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Thank you to my producer, Johnny Cabrera, and show engineer Mike and to those sponsors who support this show. It's PIC Classified. Thanks for listening. I'm Francis Kaler. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.